Chapter 31 of Autumn Leaves This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Levitsky Autumn Leaves Edited by Anna Wales Abbott From the papers of Reginald Radcliffe, Esquire in college I was the illustrious lazy. In my professional studies and avocations, I have been so hard-driven, in order to make up for four idle years, that I am wasted almost to a shadow, and fears are entertained that I shall wholly vanish into thin air. My physician talks gravely about my having exhausted my nervous energy, and sends me to Ratborough as the place of all others the most favourable for entire intellectual repose. I am living with an old aunt, Tabitha Flint, who was wont to rock me, and trot me, and wash my face in my helpless infancy, and can hardly yet be convinced that I have outgrown such endearing assiduities in the twenty-five years that I have intervened, I let her pet me so far as I find it convenient, and indeed farther, because I feel grateful for the kind feelings of which I am the object. There is another personage in the household who probably thinks that, in the exuberant kindness of my aunt, I have a full average of civility, without the least interest on her part. Do not for a moment imagine that I am piqued at her insulting indifference of manner towards a young man who... I beg you to believe, is not wholly without claim to a glance of approbation now and then from a lady's eye. You must not suppose I care at all about the matter. But as I have not even a book allowed me to take up my thoughts, my curiosity fixes itself strangely upon the silent, sulky, meditative little person, who takes about as much notice of me as of the figure of Father Time over the clock. What can such a body have to think about the livelong day that is so absorbing that all one's bright thoughts and one's most whimsical sallies pass without notice? Should I see her once move a muscle of her very plain, doggedly inexpressive, provokingly composed fizz, I should jump up and cry, Bo! with surprise. She vanishes several hours at a time, and I hear her humming to herself, sometimes in one room, sometimes in another. I wish I knew how she amuses herself, for I find self-amusement the hardest drudgery ever tried. I could stamp. I am so impatient of doing nothing but lounge about. I am as snappish as a chained cur, as cross as a caged bear, and while I gnaw my nails and stretch and yawn, I hear that contented bee-like murmur, and now and then a light, rapid step on the stairs, or about rooms which I do not frequent. What can she find to be so busy about, you absurd little person? How can she be so happy in this dull house alone? There is a piano, but as silent as she is. I do not see her wince, though I drum upon the keys with most ingenious discords, and sing false on purpose as loud as I can bellow. 
I will not ask her if she can play. She can have no air at all, or she would box mine in self-defence. There is somebody, by name Flora, who is looked for daily by stagecoach. Flory, says my aunt, sings like a canary bird, and plays a sight. And at sight, too, it seems. This Miss Flora will be found to possess a tongue, I hope, and a disposition to give it exercise. I do not know, certainly, that Miss Etty, by the way, what is her real name? I won't condescend to ask any question about her. But really, I wish I knew whether it is metable. Perhaps Henrietta. No, no. That is too pretty a name. I shall call her Little Ugly. Hark! I have two or three times heard a very musical laugh in the direction of the kitchen. Hi-ho! How can any mortal laugh in Ratborough? Having nothing better to do, I will go and see who this very merry personage may be. I will inquire to this gay outbreak in a land of stupidity. Hark! Again! How refreshing! I must and will know what caused such a gush of mirth. Irish humour, perhaps, for Nora is laughing after her guttural fashion, too. As I popped my head into the kitchen, Little Ugly was just vanishing the opposite door. I could not make Nora tell me what Miss Etty put under her arm. As she looked over her shoulder at me, and darted out of sight, Oh, my nosy boots! I might as well wear a bell round my neck! Stage-wheels are rattling up the road. Now they run upon the grass before the door. I rush in undignified haste to the window. Shall I, will I, go and help this long-expected Miss Flora to alight? No for I see forty boxes on the coach-top. A very handsome girl, really. I will get out a blameless dicky, if such there be. First impressions are important. I wish my hair was cut. I hear my aunt coming to inform me of Flora's arrival. I shall be hugely surprised. Huh. Will it be worth while to trouble myself about a lop-eared dicky? Little ugly will be amused if I do. She can laugh, it seems. I had thought there was no fun in her mental composition, yet I have imagined a glimmer or so in her eyes, when she thought I was not looking at them, at the shadow of a dimple in her cheek now and then. Instead of adonizing, I will set my long locks on end, and don my slipshod slippers. Yes, aunt, I hear, good lady. I will presently arrive to make my bow to little handsome. Journal, September 23rd. Truly, the presence of Miss Flora Cooper makes Willow Valley a new place. At least six hours are taken from the length of the days, though I have given up my afternoon slumber and play chess and backgammon instead of drumming on the table or piano. Now I am relieved from that tedious companion, my own self. I never liked him very well, I had rather do anything than have a sober talk with a serious personage who always takes me to do for not making more of him. He scolds me, just as a stay-at-home wife lectures a gay husband, who never returns to his better half when he finds anything to amuse him abroad. Good-bye, old fellow. I have found better company than your rememberings or hopings, to wit, Miss Flora Cooper. 
alias Little Handsome, alias Aunt Tabby's Canary. The first day or two after her arrival, Miss Flora pouted at me. I was exceedingly well amused, making all the saucy speeches I could think of, in the pure spirit of mischief, and taking no notice of her tossing her pretty head and turning her back upon me. Finding that her displeasure was not producing any particular effect on the object of it, I imagine the indignant beauty begins to plot a different revenge on me. Ha! Ah, Miss Flora, it is not because you like me better than you did that you are all smiles and grace and sunshine. I shall not flatter you the more. I am determined. I am on my guard. You shall never boast of me on your list of obsequious admirers. No, no, little handsome, I am no lady's man. I never was flirted with all in my life. I defy your smiles as stoutly as your frowns. I like your pretty face, yes. It is exceedingly beautiful, as far as form and colouring go to make up the beauty of a face, and the play of the features. Yes, very lively and pretty, only too much of it. You should not smile so often, and I am tired of your pretty surprise, your playful upbraidings, and the wraps of your fan. I want more repose of feature, little handsome. Now... What a contrast! You and sedate Miss Etty present are ah, very good. I am glad you have given up following little ugly out of the room the moment we rise from table. You sit down to your tiny basket and demurely take out something that passes for work. I don't see you do much at it, however. I give you warning that I never hold skeins to be wound. Not I. I will not read aloud. So you need not offer me that sonnet to Flora in manuscript, nor your pet poet in print. We will talk. It is a comfort to have my wit appreciated. After wasting so much on my aunt, who cannot, and Miss Etty, who will not understand, I am glad to have a chance to speak, to hear a human voice and answer. I like especially to rattle on when any nonsense will do. Chat is truly agreeable when one's brains are not severely taxed to keep it going. September 24th. Charming little canary. I've spent the forenoon with her at the piano. I like her playing when she does not attempt my favorite tunes. It must be confessed she is apt to vary somewhat, and not for the better always. Her singing. Aunt Tabitha will describe... It is that of a canary, sweet and liquid, and clear and sustained, but all alike. Her throat is a fine instrument. I shall teach her to use it with more expression and feeling. We will have another lesson to-morrow. I thought, though, there was a shadow over her face when I called it practicing. Etty's eyes were met mine at the moment, a rare occurrence. What was her thought? We cannot read her movable face. Evening. I am booked for a horseback ride with Little Handsome tomorrow morning. How did she make me offer? I did not mean to. All country girls ride, I believe. I often see Miss Etty cantering through the shady lanes all by herself. 
I saw the bars down at the end of the track through the wood one day. I immediately concluded that little ugly had paced off that way, that I need not see her from my window. I put the bars up again, and lay in wait behind the bushes. Soon I heard her approaching. I come forward as she comes near, on that rat-like pony of hers, who holds his head down as if searching for something lost in the road. I stand in doubt whether to laugh at her predicament, or advance in a gentlemanly manner to remove the obstacle I had put in her way. When, lo, the absurd little nag clears it at a bound, and skims away over the green track like a swallow, till he vanishes under the leafy arch. I am left in a very foolish attitude, with mouth and eyes wide open. Now, this independent young lady shall be at liberty to take care of herself, with no officious interference of mine. I will not invite her to join us to-morrow morning, as I intended. I wonder if any horses are to be procured that are not rats. I hope Miss Flora knows enough to mount her pony, for I am sure I do not know how to help her. Phew! I hope we shall meet with no disasters. I feel certain little handsome would scream like a seagull, pull the wrong rein, tangle her foot in the stirrup or riding skirt, faint, fall, break her neck. Oh, horrors! Will not the dear old Aunt Tabitha forbid her going? What a well-proportioned and ladylike figure it was! Now I think of it. How gracefully she sat upon her flying dobbin! September 25th. Rainy. Glad of it. Breakfast late. Miss Etty did not appear. Having been up some hours, I imagine. What for, I wonder? What can she be about? One thing pleases me in her. If Aunt Tabitha wants any little attention, a needle threaded, or a dropped stitch taken up, Miss Etty quietly comes to her aid. It is so entirely a matter of course. The old lady only smiles, but any service from Flora calls forth an acknowledgment, it being a particular effort of good nature, and generally the fruit of a direct appeal. Miss Etty talks more than she did, too. While I am talking nonsense with little handsome, I fear her amusing my good auntie, and I catch a few words, her utterance having a peculiar distinctness, and the lowest of tones being fine and clear, like those of a good singer on a pianissimo strain. It is a peculiar ladylike articulation. Was she born and bred in Ratborough? I wonder. She never speaks while we are singing. Does she like music, then? I asked her once. What sort of answer is yes to such a question? And that is all I listed. Music again. The forenoon occupation. Miss Flora does not like being criticised, I find. One must not presume to set her right in the smallest particular. Singers are proverbially irritable. I am not certain I could belong to a glee club. Never get cross or unreasonable. I hate to be corrected, but I hate more to be incorrect. I could give Canary a hint or two now, and then that would be serviceable, if she would permit it. I have no right, however, to take it upon me to instruct her, and it puts her in a pet. She laughed it off, but I saw the mounting colour and the flashing glance. I am an impudent fellow, I suppose, honest to boot, 
I think she need not take offence at what was intended as a friendly help. I am no flatterer, at least. Really, I am hurt that I might not take so trifling liberty in behalf of my favourite song. I'll walk off as often as she sings it. Can her temper be perfectly good? And yet one could not expect. I ought not to be surprised. Yet I can't help thinking, suppose, just suppose, I had a right to find fault. Suppose I were a near friend. Would she bear it then? Supposing she were my companion for life? Huh! That startles one. Was I near thinking of it in earnest? She is beautiful. I should be proud of her abroad. But at home, at home, where there should be confidence, would there not be constraint? Must no improvement ever be suggested, because it implies imperfection? I hope none of my friends will ever be on such terms with me. If I am touchy like a nettle, may they grasp me hard, and fear me not. September 26th this little sheet of water in front of the house has the greatest variety of aspects. Its face is like a human face, full of varying expressions. A slight haze made it so beautiful just before sunset. I took my chair and put it out of the window upon the grass, then followed it, and sat with it tipped back against the house close by the window of one of those mysterious rooms where Miss Etty immures herself. I heard the canary say in a scolding tone, I should think you might oblige me. It is such a trifle to do. It is not worth refusing. Why should you care for him? No answer. I confess my ears were erected to the sharpest attitude of listening. I was wholly oblivious of myself. Or I should have taken myself away as in honour bound. Won't you now, Etty? I'll only ask for one of our old duets, just one. No, Flora, said Little Ugly, coldly enough. Why not? No answer. To be sure, he might hear. He would find out that you are musical. What of that? Where is the use of being able to sing, to sing only when there's nobody to listen? I sing only to friends. I cannot sing. I have never sung to persons in whom I have no confidence. Afraid? What a little goose! Not afraid, exactly. I don't comprehend, I am sure. I do not expect you should. I never did understand you. You never will. Silence again. Flora tuned up, and, of all tunes, she must needs hum my song. I was on my feet in a moment to depart, when I heard the clear tones of Etty's voice again, and stood still, with one foot advanced. Flora, you should sharp that third note in the last line. Flora murdered it again, with the most atrocious, cold-blooded cruelty. I almost mocked the sound aloud in my passion. I do not tell you to vex you. Only I saw that Mr. Ratcliffe you need not trouble yourself about his opinion. I knew you would not like it, if I told you of a mistake, but I supposed you would rectify it, and I should have done you a kindness, even against your will. 
and I to hate you for it, eh? If you can. Indeed, I cannot, Etty, for you are my very best friend, but you are a horrid, truth-telling, formidable body. Why not let me sing on my own way? I don't thank you a bit. I had rather sing it wrong than be corrected. It hurts my pride. I think people should take my music as they find it. If it does not please them, they are not obliged to ask me to sing. One note wrong can surely be put up with, if the rest is worth hearing. I shall continue to sing it as I have done, I think. No, please don't. If I will mend it, when I think of it, will you sing a duet? Yes, though it will cost me more than you know. Poh! And Flora sang the song, without accompaniment. A desired sharp rung upon my ears and set my nerves at rest. Bravo! Encore! I cried beneath the window, and was pelted with peach stones. I wonder when this duet is to come off. End of From the Papers of Reginald Ratcliffe, Esquire, Part 1 Recording by Adrian Levitsky